at Snerta, the most important project is Snerta itself. We believe that we can change the world through architecture and design. Architecture and design are of the most important tools to evolve society, to evolve behavior, and to learn from. And sometimes we're able to gain big impact, uh, and sometimes a smaller one, but always pushing ourselves to explore, to get even better. Hello, I'm Claire Bennett, host of the Original Thinkers podcast, where we take a deeper dive into what it takes to have an original thought, the impact of it, and how it endures over time. At a time when original thinking could not be more important, I'll be talking to some of our country's leading minds about their creative process and about how creativity can improve lives and make a meaningful difference. Today we are recording from Oslo in Norway with Marius Miking, who is the Director of Product Design for Snow Hetta. Welcome, Marius. Thank you, Claire. I should start off by explaining Snow Hetta is a transdisciplinary dialogue-driven practice, including architecture, landscape architecture, interior architecture, art, product design, and graphic and digital design. Maris, tell me a little bit about Snowheader as a practice, because obviously there are a lot of different disciplines operating within Snowheader. What does that allow you to do as a practice in terms of problems you can solve and projects you can tackle? Snowheader in that sense is very unique. It was started in 1989 as a multidisciplinary studio. And the studio started with winning a large architectural competition in the Library of Alexandria, which is a huge first project. Massive first <laughs> project. <laughs> um, um, but the studio was started on, on this belief that you could do better, more humane, more holistic design by working multidisciplinary. So already by that point, uh, it was a team of landscape architects and architects and even artists that joined in on delivering that competition. And that was the beginning of starting a quite unique architecture and design studio. And so I think many of our listeners will be aware of some of your incredible architectural projects, certainly. Your role is head of product design and they brought you in about six years ago, is that correct? Tell me a little bit about your background and then why the role at Snowheader appealed. My background may be a little bit weird, but it's one of those backgrounds where, in retrospect, it all kind of makes sense. At a very young age, I was a very active tennis player and that kind of commitment that you had to put in to get good at something, repeating it, and constantly evolving and making your craft better has kind of shaped probably a lot of my continuous way of dealing with my career and how I work with things. But however, I found out early that academia wasn't really my thing. So I actually started out as a carpenter. I and love that, <laughs> especially being from Tasmanian Timber. I love that. <laughs> and and uh, from there on, I was so lucky to work on a lot of very exciting custom-made projects here in Oslo. Being a young carpenter, working with interior architects and architects to make these unique homes and restaurants and cafes, the architects and interior architects that we worked with told me that I should apply for the Academy of Arts in Bergen to go into design. I did, and that's where it began. Is it also true that your dad managed the biggest Ikeas and you grew up on the floor? 
of IKEA. <laughs> is that is that correct? Looking at products being designed, or did I make that up? That's actually true. So when I was seven years old, my dad was managing IKEA in Bergen, but then got the opportunity to take over and manage the Oslo franchise, which is one of the biggest and most successful IKEAs. And has helped drive the growth of IKEA internationally. That's actually what brought us from Bergen to Oslo in the first place. And I do remember running around the hall, uh, listening to these meetings between my dad and the, the employees and uh, everyone he worked with, talking about everything from retail to margins to displays to literally the furniture that we had there. And um, uh, Ingvar Kamprad, the founder of IKEA, spent several nights at home with us because when he uh, traveled, I've been told, he, he loved to stay with the store managers instead of going to hotels. Well, you must have learned an enormous amount. I mean, in terms of your role now in product design and drawing the link between industry, markets and technology, which is a big part of your role. Do you draw on that background knowledge? Is that just sort of embedded in your approach to doing things? I'm sure that there's a lot of background there that lays there and has informed how I approach things. And whether that being subconsciously or consciously, I don't know. But as anyone, we're all formed by our history. So through my way or through my career, I've always found it very interesting being able to have these discussions, especially with my dad, about his time there and, and his learning from that period. Did you aspire to work at somewhere like Snow Hetter or did they come and tap you on the shoulder? How did that come about? Was it, <laughs> <laughs> is it the ultimate role? Had you sort of dreamt of being in this position or did it come about sort of more by circumstance? I think for anyone going in or attending design school in Norway, Snöta is one of those dreams that it doesn't really seem real, that maybe you <laughs> could start working there. And that's from the outside. From the inside, it's extremely welcoming, open. And I do remember from art school that it was literally a dream place. Unfortunately, there was no product design at that point. They put on or decided to go down the path of offering product design as a discipline within the practice and brought you in to establish that. Is that correct? Yeah. In some sense, uh, Snata has always done product design. It's part of these amazing deliveries that our studio do deliver. However, what we decided to do was to professionalize it and put a proper focus on it as its own discipline. And how it came about was that the studio that we started was brought in to support Snata on some projects that turned out to be much more product design than architecture or graphic design. Um, and through that experience, we learned that the processes in Snöta was quite similar to the ones we had, and we really enjoyed working together. And it happened quite naturally in that sense. Take me through some examples of the work that you've done in product design for Snowheader. I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with you before and and have a look at some examples and, and they're quite phenomenal. Which ones do you think are sort of the best example of the work that you do? We are privileged in the way that we get to work on very different things. And one of the major part that is quite important for us is to work strategically, meaning that before we actually start designing, we need to understand the resources and unique opportunities that our collaborators has. 
because we have to make sure that what we can do, we can do it better in this context and um, in a way that really helps our collaborators and the environment as much as we can for each given project. And we'd love doing things we haven't done before. A very good example of this is um, a project that we launched not that long ago for ASAC, and it's called Flyt, which is Norwegian for flow. And it's uh, a set of permeable paving stones. I looked at these. They're so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I sat, I looked through, obviously, your Instagram, I I keep across all the time, but that was the key thing in in recent times that I just went, that's just so beautiful. I do uh, believe that this is one of those projects that really exemplifies the unique ability of Snuhata. It exemplifies how we can take and understand the input from our other disciplines. Uh, working with landscape architects, architects, interior architects, uh, graphic designers, digital designers, understanding the context in a different way and translating that into products and projects that really can be meaningful. It needs to have a balance between both economical sustainability for our clients, but also an environmental sustainability. And when we can merge those in a good balance, that's when we can have an impact. And this project is quite unique for us because it's a first kind of big step into an industry that has not really paid that much attention to strategic design as an actual tool for development up until now. So who was the client for this particular They're called ASAC. It's a Norwegian paving company, the biggest one here in Norway. We have to give them a lot of credit because this is an industry that haven't really dared to go into much innovation up until now. But they gave us a call and I remember my first call with them. They were a little bit curious or a little bit anxious and was wondering if it was okay for them to call in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) And if we would be interested in looking into the possibility of even working with them at all. And I remember that call because it almost marked a little bit of a milestone when new industries are reaching out and uh, understanding that design can really be a very powerful tool for change. And I remember one of the first conversations we had with them was explaining that change is great, but change is almost the definition of painful. No one really likes change immediately. But if you want to drive and build an impact in the sense that ASAC and this collection is doing, you need to look at it in a new perspective. Things that after the fact may seem quite simple, but it's taking this into understanding the meaningfulness of a collection as a tool. And this industry have developed a lot of really good permeable paving stone. However, each one is just very set to solve one challenge. What this collection does is that it takes one step back and looks at what is important when you're actually planning bigger urban spaces. And by adding just two more stones, we could have a gradually growing system that you can design and inform space with and allow the designer, the landscape architect, the developer to create their own language, their own way of informing how to use the space and flexibility. Yes. So we look at this as a great starting point 
but it's just the first project. And it's so much fun when you can develop something that can keep evolving. And currently with this project, we're also supporting ASAC in looking into global licensing of this product to make it available far beyond the borders of Norway. For a client who's making that leap to choose to work with you as a firm, there's the value. They've gone from we need a product that we want to utilise in Norway to, hey, we've created something that's so spectacular, it's going to be interesting on a global scale. But it's also instantly got recognition for being brilliant on a global scale because of who designed it. That in itself gives your client an enormous step up in terms of markets globally, doesn't it? We always believe that it's the projects that makes the name, not the other way around. And a really good project that pushes the boundaries, that's really what builds that recognition. It's not because of Sneta being Sneta, but maybe a little bit the craziness and the process that we take our clients and collaborators through that allows us to push the boundary a little bit more and always trying to do things better. Projects drive everything. You mentioned there the process. I've been fortunate enough working with an Australian client to be involved in that creative process with you, and it was fascinating and brilliant. Tell me a little bit about the creative process that your team goes through. So the client that you just mentioned, they came to you for the thinking. It was not a specific thing. They just said, we've got a problem and we just want your brains on it. What is that process that you go through? Or is it something <laughs> that you don't want to share? No, no, we love sharing. Um, <laughs> what we find is that a very important tool in any collaboration is to agree on a common ground. Any first part of any project that we have is what we call a strategic alignment. And that could vary depending on what kind of project we're doing. But in product design, very often it's about identifying opportunities together with our clients and creating what you would call a creative brief together, understanding the, the challenges up front, the opportunities, but also the limitations to be as efficient and work as smoothly throughout the design process. We do have what we call the Snuhata workshop that we use quite a bit. And we use this four-hour workshop that we've developed together with a research company called Sintef. And it's about these different creative output methods where we have a four-hour workshop where our goal is to both get to know each other and not just the CEO, but also someone working on the floor, someone working in the store, someone working with the marketing, as many people who might have a unique input or insight into the company we're working with, um, to get to and co-create different creative uh, starting points that we then use to inform the process going forward. That allows us, when we're working this multidisciplinary, to have a common ground or a red thread a conceptual starting point that everything springs out of. So that could lead to very different expressions, different results, but they work together because they have that coming starting point. I obviously went through that process of doing that workshop and watching that go from start to finish and seeing where it ended. It was quite a fascinating thing to be a part of. And then when you get to the end, you are 
everybody is on the same page and everyone's behind that concept. And so from that point on, you know, everyone's pulling towards that same output. Any creative project is not made in a vacuum. So it's all about working together and utilizing the unique resources that you have whenever you're working with someone else. Uh, internally, that is quite unique for us. And for us as product design, we have an incredibly unique resource to pull knowledge, experience, and expertise from, uh, where we can ask all the dumb questions. And I can tell you there's many, but uh, to be able to pull in that expertise where it's needed to inform the development going forward is something that we use to elevate any project that we do have. One of the other things in the process that I really loved that I think speaks to the philosophy behind Snowheader as well was the enormous drive to look for the most sustainable solution. So in this particular project, it was a timber-based project and looking at or helping facilitate because of my knowledge in that industry, your desire to find the most sustainable outcome or to reutilise something that had been wasted. So if we could find any waste in the timber supply chain that could be drawn into and utilised in the project, the most sustainable use of timber that was available. I thought that was really interesting. So Snowheader does have a strong push as a firm or as a practice, doesn't it, to look at having a positive change on the environment. How much does that drive every decision you make within the practice? It's always been important, but it's incredibly important to gain more and more knowledge, be curious, and use every opportunity to push the boundary for developing better sustainable options. It's a constant focus that we have both internally and externally in Snata. And the realization is that we also have to get better. So we are constantly working on uh, building up internal knowledge, experiences, sharing those experiences throughout the studios between the disciplines and being able to draw knowledge from that. Um, and in the same way, we, we work with clients to best understand how we may be able to develop or even push something towards even more sustainable solutions. In addition to that, we also have to draw knowledge from different external experts and challenge our collaborators to, to utilize that expertise and being able to then, again, actually develop design that is informed by real data, real information. Sitting here in Oslo today, we've got the most unique weather pattern <laughs> you've ever had, which having touched down for my first time in Norway, it's a thrill, obviously, <laughs> to have arrived on the two wettest days in the history of the country. But also looking back to your winter, you said that you had some of the hottest weather you've ever had through winter. And so, I mean, we're seeing these changes every day. It's never been more important to facilitate positive change wherever we can. As a practice, you can work with anyone, anywhere. Are there dream projects that you aspire to, perhaps as a firm, that might have bigger change globally? I mean, can you work with governments? We're already working with... Well, there governments. you go. Let's tell, <laughs> tell me about that. Tell but, me about but, that. But, but um, no, for example, so um, one project 
that we have now is the promenade, the, the Kant promenade, the La Croce, and modernizing that, which is a huge, one of the most uh, well-known promenades out there. Um, and in this project, working with the city council to develop, this is a super challenging and interesting project. We believe really that architecture and design, it's, it's one of the most important tools to evolve society, to evolve behavior and to learn from. And, you know, if we didn't believe that we could change the world through architecture and design, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> we shouldn't be working in architecture and design. And sometimes we're able to gain a big impact uh, and sometimes a smaller one but always pushing ourselves to explore um, how to get even better. We often talk about that also, that at Snöta, the most important project is Snöta itself. And the Snöta is, is almost a little bit of this like magical place where we have, at this point, studios all around the world filled with incredibly talented people and recognizing that each one of these talented people are also individuals and it's their passion driven by their individual interests individual uh, drive to do different things to explore different things when we can learn and work together on utilizing those unique experiences and drives that is how we can create better architecture and design one project at a time so for anyone listening at any place within the world, they can access the skills and expertise of Snowheader as a team. You are a truly global team, aren't you? Where are you based practice-wise? The headquarter or a largest studio is still here in Oslo, where it was founded in 1989. Uh, outside of that, we have studios in Paris, uh, in Innsbruck. We have uh, a studio in New York, one in San Francisco. We have one in Hong Kong and recently started one in Shenzhen. And we have another one in, uh, in Adelaide. And we work through these studios internationally and collaborate between. All of the studios are founded on the same principles. And one special thing that we try to do as often as possible, and before the pandemic it was biannual, which we are getting back into now, but it is gathering everyone from the different Snöheta studios on top of Dovra, where the Snöheta mountain is, uh, where we spend a full weekend to socialize, talk about all issues and creative challenges apart from architecture and design, to be social together in a setting where we can sit at the lookout and discuss and just be together. It does make a huge difference, doesn't it? Because in a globalized world where we can work in teams across continents and I'm the same I've just been in London sitting down with my design team who are based in the UK and we would speak to each other three times a week on zoom but there is just nothing like sitting down in person there's that connection that human connection zoom's great but it's not there you know you, you communicate well but you don't connect I think so I think it is so important to actually sit down and also when you're in a meeting, you're on the job. Whereas I think just conversation and getting to know people as people is really important. And it really does foster that connection that makes you a team. 
And so the benefit then of having those offices is that clients say, so I'm based in Tasmania, but we would work with the Adelaide studio because we're in the same time zone and then they would facilitate our collaboration with you or any other snowheader around the world who had the skills you wanted to bring to the table for that specific project. Is that how it works? Yeah, or for example, product design and graphic design and digital design is primarily based in Oslo, but we work globally. So we work with all the studios. And what often happens is that in Adelaide, you, you contact Koida, for example, and you have a chat and you realize that uh, it would be nice to have some product designers in here too. And he'll be able to facilitate that. But also you could reach out directly if you already knew you wanted to work with product design. <laughs> so it's, um, it's not a one fits all, but we try to accommodate collaborators that, that we believe could mean some interesting, challenging projects. Do you have a particular project, something you would love to get your hands on? Is there something you aspire to design that you just wish would come across your plate? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, no, but I, I think the answer is literally always the next project. Always what we're working on right now, we find great pleasure in that. We um, early on try to identify meaning into the project. So meaning that isn't necessarily we want this to be beautiful, but a higher ambition for any project. And it's really driving towards that ambition that is maybe even somewhat more important than how something looks, but it truly informs how something looks and why it looks that way. This podcast was really founded on the idea of exploring what people within the built environment can do as instruments of change in the world. And we wanted to look at how much can they be that. And the more interviews I do, the more I realise you're playing an incredibly important role. So thank you so much. Thank you for all the amazing work you do and for generously giving up your time this morning. Marius Miking, thank you. Thank you, Claire. Pleasure. Make sure to check out the show notes at originalthinkers.com.au where you'll find further information and links to everything we talked about on today's episode. Thanks also to the sponsors of this episode, Original Tasmanian Timber. Make sure to visit tasmaniantimber.com.au, the ultimate resource for architects, designers and anyone interested in local, sustainable and beautiful timbers. And Cusp Building Solutions, CUSP created the first hardwood CLT and the strongest CLT in the world from certified plantation-grown eucalyptus. CUSP makes what's next. Visit cusp.com.au. And finally, thank you for joining me. We'll be back with more of the Original Thinkers podcast. 